Good morning. I would like to tell you the story of Ebenezer this morning. And I'm not talking about the Charles Dickens short novel called A Christmas Carol. I want to talk to you about Ebenezer. And it's not a man, it's not a person, it's a place. And it was written by Charles Dickens, it was written by God, by God. And it's a story that begins in a battlefield. A battlefield where the Philistines are at a place called Aphek, and the children of Israel and their armies are at a place called Ebenezer. And they are staring each other down across the plain. When the Philistines decide they're going to let loose and they run across, and by the end of the day, 4,000 Israelites are dead on the plain in between. The Israelite armies are shocked. They are demoralized. They return back to the camp at Ebenezer wondering what's happened. And the leaders of the army decide, you know what? Our problem may not be a military problem. Our problem might be a religious problem. And so they started to remember some stories that their parents had told them about the ark of God. And about how Moses had said that when the ark of God went out before the people of God, the enemies would scatter. They remembered the story of how the children of Israel walked around the walls of Jericho with the ark of God and the walls fall, <coughs> fell down. And so they began to think, you know, we've been going out to war all of these years without our big gun with us. And so they send word to Shiloh and they say, send the ark of God so that it might save us from our enemies. And so they sent for the ark and they went into the tabernacle and they robbed the most holy place of the ark of God and they brought it to the camp at Ebenezer. And in that procession were two boys, the sons of Eli the priest. Both of these boys were priests and their names were Hophni and Phinehas. And they were carrying the ark back to the camp there at Ebenezer, surely dressed in all of their beautiful priestly garb. But at this point, we need a little flashback. We need to see what we've known about these two boys. These are two boys that were priests, but they are driven by their greed. They are boys that would sit at the temple or the tabernacle, and they saw the tabernacle as a place to rob people of their possessions and their money. When people would bring their sacrifices to the tabernacle, they would make sure to skim some off the top for themselves. And they ate every day sumptuously. They ate the best food and the richest fat. Everything. They had this kind of beautiful, perfect lifestyle. Living off of others. In addition to that, they were also greedy for pleasure and power. They saw the tabernacle like some kind of nightclub where you would go and seduce women in order to lay with you. 
And they did that to the women who came to the tabernacle to serve the Lord. These are two men who are driven by their greed. And they're the ones leading the procession. With the ark of God, they are the saviors of Israel. And when the ark of God reaches the camp of the Israelites, there is a shout that goes out that is so loud that it causes the ground to shake. And at this point, the Philistines go into fear. They're scared to death because you know what? Their parents also told them stories about the ark of God. And yet their stories were not told to encourage. They were campfire stories that children were told around the campfire to scare little Philistine boys to death so that they couldn't sleep at night. These stories were about how the God of Israel, characterized by this ark, had destroyed the the Egyptians, how they had caused the nations of the wilderness to be overcome by sending all kinds of plagues among the people. And so when they hear that the ark of God has come among the Israelites, they're scared to death. The text says they became afraid. They started saying, we've had it. We're done for. But before long, the battle begins. And as quickly as the battle begins, it ends. The biblical historian describes it like this. The Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated. In that day, 30,000 Soldiers of Israel died on the plains between Aphek and Ebenezer. And two of those people who died on that plain, now the bodies piled up on top of one another, 34,000 in two days. And their bodies piled up on, one, on each other, but there are two that stick out. Yes? The H&P brothers. They're laying there with all the dead. Dressed in their beautiful garb. But no more are they filled with greed. They have no money. They have no passion for power or sex. They're just as dead as everybody else. The most tragic thing that had happened that day though is that the ark of God had been captured. The Philistines take the Ark of God and they go to their capital city, Ashdod, down there. And in Ashdod, they take, they take the Ark and stick it in one of their temples as a little trinket of their victory over Israel and their God. And in this temple, a temple by the name of Dagon, there is this Ark and the idol falls down during the night and lays in front of the ark. They think, well, that's rather strange. Dagon having done that. So they take their pulleys and their, their uh, ropes and they get 
you know, their, their idol right back up in place and tell him to stay there. And the next morning, he's on his face again. Though this time, his head has popped off, his, his arms or his hands have popped off, and they're laying at the threshold of the temple greeting any worshiper that might come in. This was just the beginning of what was going to happen in Ashdod. Because all of a sudden, the oncology doctors are overwhelmed with people. The waiting rooms are full. Everybody's got tumors popping up all over their bodies. People are dying. And they're wondering, what has happened to us all? They think, we've got to get rid of this ark. And they throw the ark down the street to Gath. Maybe Gath can do something with it. As soon as the ark shows up in Gath, again, everybody starts popping up with tumors and people start falling dead. And so Gath says, we got to get rid of this. And they send it down the road to Ekron. And the people at Ekron say, oh great, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to kill us all? And they're scared to death of it. In other words, my friends, Israel may have lost the battle at Ebenezer, but God's doing pretty good on His own, isn't He? And the people of Ekron get all of the Philistine leaders together and say, we got to do something with this ark. we got to get rid of it. And they put it on a cart and they send it back to Israel. And when it enters Israel, the first place that it goes is a town that's called Beth Shemesh. And the people see the ark coming and they're overwhelmed with joy. And yet, some of the people of Beth Shemesh treat the ark with the same kind of commonplace way that the Philistines did. They go, grab it, open it up, let's see what's inside. And that day, 70 men of Beth Shemesh fall dead. And they say, we don't want this thing around. And they send it down the road to a place called Kiriath Jerem, where it sits for the next 20 years. Now, you might say, I thought that this was a story about Ebenezer. It is. So let's go back to Ebenezer. And as we do, what we see is that over these 20 years, there's been a prophet by the name of Samuel who has been preaching to the people the law of God. He has been calling the people to repent and to turn to the Lord with all their hearts, to get rid of their idols, and to serve the Lord with all of their hearts. And remarkably, the people did. They confessed their sins before God and they changed their ways. Twenty years of preaching had changed the people of God. What a delight. would love for that to be the case. But while the children of Israel were changed, the Philistines were not. And again, they come to do battle with Israel. The Philistine hordes are back nastier than ever. But this time, this time, it's Israel that is afraid. It is this time 
that they are going to Samuel and begging him, Samuel, would you keep praying to God on our behalf that He might save us from our enemies? No longer it save us from our enemies, but He save us from our enemies. And they're not shouting. They're not shaking the earth with their voice. But Samuel is praying for the people. He's offering a sacrifice for the people. And at that very moment, God sends out a sound, a thundering sound throughout the troops of the Philistines. And they become so scared at this miraculous event that they are moving and going all kinds of ways, which then allows the people of Israel to go among them and to drive them out and achieve victory. And from this point on, all of the days of Samuel, the Philistines would never again be a problem for Israel. For all the days of Samuel, the children of Israel got back all of the land and all of the cities that the Philistines had taken from them. During all of the days of Samuel, as the people listened to the Word of God and conformed their lives to His ways, they had peace with all of the nations around them, even those pesky Amorites. They had peace even with them. And it was at this point that Samuel took a stone and he put it in the field outside of Mizpah and he named the stone Ebenezer. What? He named the stone after the place that Israel had been routed where so many, 34,000 Israelites died. He named the stone after that place? After the place of defeat? Yes. Because he wanted to remind the people, when they trusted in themselves, they fell. But when they trusted in God, they succeeded. Because the name Ebenezer meant, we have come this far by God's help. They didn't learn that lesson back at the city of Ebenezer. But they learned it in the meantime. They looked back and they saw in their history that it was God's grace in the past that had preserved them. And it was trust in God's grace that would preserve them for the future. Let me leave you with two thoughts from the story of Ebenezer. And the first thought is that there is value in fear. There's no coincidence that Charles Dickens named his villain Ebenezer Scrooge. Because Ebenezer was a man in his story that trusted in himself, was greedy for money, that believed that he could control his own destiny and make everything work out the way that he wanted it to. Until what? until he was scared to death by ghostly apparitions during the night. 
thinking about his past, scared to death about his future, petrified about, about his present. It was fear that drove Ebenezer Scrooge to be a changed man. And in this story, fear plays an important part. In that first battle, it was the Philistines who were scared to death of God. Oh, the Israelites took Him for granted. You just get His box, take it along with us. We're used to God. We say His name. We know where His tabernacle is. Over there is Shiloh. Why don't you just go bring it? Oh, we got the clothes. Look, we're here. Why don't we just take our little box in and we're going to be successful. No fear of God. But the, but the Philistines scared to death of Him. Who won? The Philistines did. The next time, they have a battle. The Philistines come against the Israelites. They're confident, secure, sure of themselves. And it is Israel that's scared to death. The Bible says they were afraid. And they begged God, we need your help. We depend upon your grace. And who won? Israel did. In both stories... The ones who feared the Lord won. And the church today has a serious need to take God seriously. Our brother prayed it. So wonderful. We fall into the same pattern as Israel. We take God for granted. We treat Him as common. We treat His worship as no big deal. And we wear the name Christian when it's convenient. We're glad to have a church to go to. And we consider ourselves pretty good people. And we don't bother God too much as long as no big problem shows up. And as soon as the big problem shows up, we expect that He takes care of it. And when He doesn't, we wonder what the problem is. We just think we can rub a little religion and life's going to be okay. But it isn't. What goes wrong? I suggest that we have lost our reverence and holy fear of God. The fact of the matter is, we, like Israel, don't deserve God's victory. We are dependent upon Him. We must confess our sins and recognize our total depend dependence upon Him. To recognize that He is worthy of more than just the scraps of our life. As Samuel called the people to turn to the Lord with all of your heart and to serve the Lord with all of your heart. And it wasn't until they trembled before God and they recognized their need before God and they saw their own sins that they were in a position to receive the grace of God's victory. I was talking to an educator uh, yesterday, and she said that she had been teaching for over 20 years, and I asked her, what's changed in those 20 years? And she told me the same thing many educators have told me. 
What's changed is that you used to be able to go to parents and say, little Johnny hasn't been acting very good. And he needs to make some changes so that he can be in a position to learn more. And you used to have parents who would say, thank you for letting me know. I'll talk to little Johnny and we'll get that corrected. And now, she says, when you say that to parents, parents respond by saying, what have you done to little Johnny? My little Johnny's perfect. He's good. You must have messed him up. It's your fault. There's no doubt there can be no change. Until we, like Israel, learn that we are sinful, that we need to cast ourselves wholly upon the mercy and grace of God, that we'll be able to have the victory over the things that drag us down in life. And that leads to the second thing we can learn from this lesson, this story. And that is, we need to get rid of the I deserve it mentality. Can I say it? We need to get rid of the I deserve it mentality and see our need for grace. This story of Ebenezer was turned into a hymn by Robert Robinson. Mr. Robinson points out the essential message of this story, and that is, we need God's grace. His hymn starts like this. O thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. The second verse is all about Ebenezer. And the third verse goes like this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. You see, this I deserve it attitude, it leads to greed. It always does. I deserve it leads to greed. I deserve to have more. I deserve to have this and this and this and I deserve to have that and that and that and we become Hophni and Phineas, where we are driven by our greed. The problem about the I deserve it mentality is that it can never be satisfied. You will just want more and more and more until you end up in a life of debt. Oh, debt financially, yes. But you will end up with life overwhelming you. Why? Because you think you deserve more. I want more and more and more. And it's never, never enough. But what God taught Israel is that you don't deserve what I give you. You have sinned against me. You have the idols that you give your attention to. Your real devotion and love is for things other than me. And it is not until you turn your heart and give your heart fully to me and you turn from all of the stuff and all of the greed and all of the desire and you cast yourself upon me that I will give you more and more and more than you could ever want. That's what happened with Israel. They finally turned it to God in faithfulness, in wholehearted service, and what did God do to them? Gave them complete victory over the Philistines all of the days of Samuel. 
gave them all of their land back and all of their cities back and gave them peace with everybody around them. They became faithful to God wholeheartedly and they got the abundance of grace. Yeah, the story of Ebenezer is a story that with a humble obedience to God, His grace will be more than sufficient. Let's take this grace story, this message of Ebenezer with us, and live not in that battlefield at first where we trust in our own name. Don't you know my last name? I deserve something more. Where I've always gone to church. And let's leave that behind. And let's go to that field outside of Mizpah and declare, it is by your help I've come thus far. Let's sing about it. Rather lead us in that song. Oh, we saw me. Oh, the fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Strings of mercy never ceasing. Offer songs of loudest praise. Danger interposes.